Jesus came teaching. He did other things. We know this from the scriptures, but if we had to assign a primary occupation to Jesus, it would be that of teacher. Now, in a Jewish sense, what this meant was he was responsible for demonstrating both in word and in deed, both talking about and living out what it means to be in right relationship with God. That as a teacher, he was responsible for teaching people what it looked like to have a relationship with God. And we have been this past fall looking at the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with a, with a series of teachings known as the Beatitudes. And they talk about what a blessed life looks like. And Jesus, as a teacher of what a relationship with God should look like, says that it doesn't actually look like what you might think. So we call it the upside-down kingdom, that Jesus said that there are people who were blessed, who were living in right relationship with God that we might not expect. And then he goes on to continue to teach about what God desires for people's lives. And the Sermon on the Mount is the most cohesive, largest chunk of Scripture we have that shows Jesus' teaching in one place. And as Jesus taught about the things of God, he invited people to go beyond just knowing it at a head level, but to letting it sink in at a heart level. That he challenges the people of his day and he challenges us by raising the bar and by saying it's not just about what you know, it's about who you know and about how God loves us and how we respond in our lives to the love of Jesus. So we are in Matthew chapter 5. This is an excellent place to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount because in this passage, Jesus holds up the importance of Scripture for God's people. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, would love for you to have a Bible in your hand so that you can mark stuff down. I'm going to ask you to write a few things, underline a few things, circle a few things. So if you have one of these Bibles, if you need to bring yours back next week, that's fine. Uh, you can grab a pew Bible in front of you or just have something you can write on. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So pause right there. Jesus says the law of the prophets. And for our intents and purposes, he essentially just means the Old Testament. So the law was, would be better translated as Torah. It means the books of Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament were known as the Torah or the law. And then the prophets referred to not only the minor and major prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Malachi and Micah, they also referred to the books of history because they were prophetic works about the people of God in the world. And so above law and prophets, I would love for you just to write Old Testament. If you would write Old Testament above law or the prophets so that we know what we're talking about, the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus said he did not come to abolish them, to dismiss them, to do away with them, but to fulfill them, to make them true, to give them a purpose. For truly, I say to you, verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So stop right there. And out beside accomplished, I want you to write purpose. 
Beside accomplished, I want you to write purpose. The law has a purpose that needs to be accomplished. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So right there, under the word kingdom of heaven, I want you to write kingdom of God. Matthew says kingdom of heaven. Mark, Luke, and John write kingdom of God. And the reason for this is Matthew had certain Jewish sensibilities based on his audience that he wrote kingdom of heaven, but they're talking about the same thing. So write kingdom of God under kingdom of heaven. So there were people in Jesus's day who were skeptical about Jesus's willingness as a teacher to keep the law. In fact, the, the Gospels are full of stories in which the religious leaders of Jesus' day question whether or not Jesus actually obeyed the Torah, whether he obeyed the law. And any good teacher should. And so they pushed on Jesus, are you really Torah observant? Are you really obeying God's rules? And they wanted Jesus to fight back. They wanted Jesus to do some kind of a performance to show them, yes, I do follow the rules the way you do. You see, these people had said, look, Jesus, we know, we know God. We know we know the rules. We know we follow them, but we're not sure you do. Prove to us that you follow the rules. Now, Jesus' response reminds me a little bit of the urban legend surrounding the invention of the iPad. That ubiquitous device, which some of you checked your children in down the hallway on, and we use almost every single day. The story goes... Steve Jobs had met with some Microsoft executives, and they were just giddy about this new device they had created called a tablet. And they talked about how awesome it was going to be, how it was going to revolutionize technology, yada, yada, yada. And he walked away from there thinking, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. But he goes back and he thinks, they have no idea what they're doing. I'll show them how to build a tablet. And as we know, the, the, the iPad has, has completely dominated the tablet market since its invention. What he did was say, I'm not going to compete with you guys. I'll just show you how to really do this. And this is what Jesus does. I'm not going to demonstrate for you that I know and follow all the laws. I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to show you what it really means to be in right relationship with God. I'm going to show you what it really means to follow the Torah. And so what we'll see in our text today is that Jesus raises the bar on what it means to be in right relationship with God through the Scriptures. And if he does that for them in the Old Testament, he does it for us with all of Scripture. So let's jump in. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus fulfills the promises that God makes to Israel and the world in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. So in verse 17, I want you to circle the word fulfill. Jesus fulfills the promises made to the world and to Israel in the Old Testament. You see, God had an intention when he gave them the law. And when Jesus comes, Jesus said, I'm not here to abolish it or do away with it or ignore it. I'm actually rooted in it. So we have to understand that Jesus' story is rooted in the Old Testament story. And therefore, we cannot dismiss the Old Testament story, which is tempting. 
Because how many of us have started New Year's reading plans on January 1st and we got bogged down somewhere in Deuteronomy or Numbers or Leviticus and we just stopped? Because the Old Testament is hard and confusing, but we need to know that it points to Jesus. And Jesus says, my story is rooted in that story. And we'll talk a little bit about how that's possible, but this is actually one of the main reasons why I'm Presbyterian. I wasn't raised Presbyterian, but what I found was I needed a tradition, a theological home that took the Old Testament seriously because Jesus is a continuation. He's a fulfillment of what goes on in the Old Testament. So what does that mean? Well, God gave his people the law. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, as a way of giving them an identity. So here's what happened. God rescued a group of slaves. Not just a group of slaves, a group of slaves who had been in slavery in Egypt for generations, meaning that no one in their culture, no one in their family of people knew anything other than slavery. Thousands and thousands of them. And he led them in freedom across a desert, through a sea, across more wilderness, and settled them in a land by themselves. Now, just imagine with me, which of those slaves do you, do you think had experience running a government? Which of those slaves had experience running an economy? Which of those slaves had experience implementing a legal system? None of them. God gave them the law as a way of giving them a culture and a government and a way of life, a society from scratch that they knew nothing but slavery and oppression and he wanted them to live into their newfound freedom so he gave them a way of living together. And he told them from the beginning that if they lived like this together, if they obeyed all the laws, then they would put on display for the world what it would look like for a people to know the love of God. And what we know is they didn't do it. They didn't do it, and they ended up sort of losing their national life and being sent into exile. And what, but what God tells them through the prophets that come to them is that I will restore you one day. And when I restore you, that means, again, the whole world will be invited to see how good God is. And in fact, even invited in to be a part of the life of God's people. So the law, when given, had a purpose. It was meant to help them not follow 613 rules but to help them have a heart that God desired for them to heart the purpose of the have the purpose of the law was to form in them the heart of God now if the law was supposed to put on display for the world God's heart for Israel and therefore God's heart for the world and Jesus says I am the fulfillment of those promises And what Jesus is saying is that Scripture is crucial to pointing us towards what it means to be God's people. And therefore, the second thing I want you to see is letting Scripture guide us is crucial to making God's ways our ways. Matthew 5, 19, and Jesus says, whoever relaxes these commands and teaches others they're not important, that they are nothing in the kingdom. But those who do them and teach them will be considered great, meaning that they are with the kingdom. They are in the kingdom. They are, they are those who are putting the kingdom on display for the world to see. So I want you to underline, does them and teaches them. Does them and teaches them. Remember, Jesus was a teacher who was supposed to do and teach to, it, to live out what it meant to have a right relationship with God. And so Jesus is pointing us to Scripture is crucial to letting ourselves live out a right relationship with God. Now, Here's why. 
every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, receive messages every single day about what makes for a good life. You receive messages all day long through media, social media, news, radio, music, television, movies, books, magazines. You receive messages 24-7. And all of those messages in some way are embedded with ideas and truths about what makes for a good life, what's important, who you are, who you should be, what you need, what you should desire, what you deserve. And I'm not calling any of those things inherently bad. But I am saying that they don't hold the messages that point you to Jesus. That the things that you're watching, listening to, reading every single day, that they're not asking you to imagine that the life that Jesus has for you is the best life possible for you. They're giving you other visions of what a good life should be. And so without Scripture, we are being formed by something else. I saw this past week where Lifeway... Lifeway Christian Resources out of Nashville had done a 10-year study, 10 years studying the same churches and the same Christians. They learned two things about spiritual maturity. The first one is they learned that the Bible is number one for spiritual maturity, that, that without biblical engagement, there is no spiritual growth. It is the most important thing in the life of a disciple. And the second thing they learned was that when you engage with the Bible, it affects everything else. That when, when biblical engagement increases, discipleship and missions and giving, it all increases. That the Bible is crucial to our relationship with God, to God's ways being our ways. Now, let me pause there and acknowledge again that this isn't exactly things that thrill all of us. To go, oh, I've got to go and read the Bible more. Isn't really the most exciting thing for many of us. I get it. I totally get it. I totally understand that for many of us, it's confusing or it's boring. Where are the pictures? <laughs> right? Like, we, we, it gets overwhelming really fast. It feels irrelevant. It feels like it doesn't make a difference in our lives. And so we tend to check out. Now, um, a few years ago, I enrolled in a doctoral program. I thought, going into this, that I knew a lot about the Bible and theology and scripture and church and ministry. Like, I really thought I, I, I would be a smart person in this, uh, in this doctoral program. And then every six months, we have to go to Chicago to take a, a week-long intensive lectures from a professor. And I show up for the very first one. The first morning, I'm there with like 10 pastors from across the country. And by noon, it has hit me. I made a mistake. <laughs> I felt so overwhelmingly out of place. I felt so lost. I, I could not keep up. These people were so smart. They had read books I couldn't even start to understand. They had written academic things and published journal articles and books that I would never do. And I felt so lost. Like, I don't know what to do with this. And I know many of us feel that way even when we just come to Scripture. We don't know what to do. Now, one of the temptations is to check out. You know what? This isn't working for me. I'm going to disengage. The other temptation is to double down. I could have said, I'm going to show them just how smart I am. I'm going to read everything and write everything. I'm going to be an expert. And there were people in Jesus' day that had done this with the law. They were experts. They were so good at understanding the law. And Jesus seems to say, neither. Do neither. 
Don't check out. You need scripture to drive you to the heart of God. Don't check out. At the same time, the point is not to become masters of words on a page or words on a scroll or memorize. I mean, the point is not to become experts and to show everyone how good you are at knowing the rules. The point is that you would know Jesus through engaging with Scripture, that it would raise the bar on what it means for you to have a relationship with God, that all you can do is not become an expert and not check out, but to engage with Jesus through Scriptures, that let Scripture point you to Jesus. The third thing I want you to see is that Scripture changes the horizon for what's possible in our lives. It changes the horizon for what's possible. Matthew 5, 20 Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you circle righteousness exceeds? Righteousness exceeds. Jesus picked the most righteous people you could imagine. If you would have asked anybody in Jesus' day who is righteous, who is the most righteous, they would have said the Pharisees and the scribes. But what Jesus gets at is not what we might imagine. So we hear that and we think Jesus is saying the equivalent of, if you want to play basketball down at the YMCA, don't even put your sneakers on unless you're better than LeBron James. He says, oh, you want to invest some money? Don't even try unless you have more money than Warren Buffett. Oh, you want to read your Bible? Unless you know more than the Pope does, waste of your time. Leave it on the shelf. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not getting at that those people are so good that you can't even measure up to them. What he's saying is that they have loved the law, but that they lost the heart of the law. That they loved the law, but they forgot the game they were supposed to be playing. That they had gotten so good at following the rules that they missed on God. And the truth is, there are many of us who have gotten so good at doing the thing that we're already doing that we're missing the thing that God has for us. That life's going well enough most of the time. Why wouldn't I just keep doing what's working? And so we just kind of go about our lives being satisfied with what we already have. When if we were to engage with God in Scripture, if we were to engage with Jesus, he might have a vision for our lives that's better than we could ever imagine. That even though life is going good, what if Jesus has something better for you, but you're missing it because you're not seeking him and you're not seeking him in Scripture? Jesus didn't come to go, hey, good job. You already got it all figured out. Jesus came so that you could question, what if I don't? What if I don't have it figured out? What if I'm great and my life's doing fine and I have everything I want, but what if it's not right? What if I don't, what if I don't have it all? What if I'm missing something? And Jesus comes to make them question, maybe there's something better. He raises the bar on their life. Jesus was asked to sum up the law and the prophets. And most of us could recite what he says in some, in some version. He says to love God and to love others, love people, love love God and love others. He says to love God and love others. And this is why, this is why I need Jesus to raise the bar. When I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about how to love God and love others. I'm thinking about how to love myself. I, I might be the only one. 
And I need the words of Scripture to remind me that's not what my life is about. That my life is bound up in the one who raised the bar and showed that none of us are righteous, none of us are good, none of us can keep the law, but he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we would be united with his life and that the horizons of our life would be changed. That we would no longer be the same, but that our life would be pointed towards something better. And Jesus is engaging with people both then and now, who have missed it. The religious leaders of his day were not villains. They were just those who missed the heart because they were so focused on following the rules. What are you so focused on that you're missing the heart of God? And are you allowing the words of Christ, the scriptures, to drive you to see that Jesus is, in fact, the heart of scripture? Jesus is the heart of Scripture. That's the last thing I want you to write in your journal Bibles is out on the side if you would write, Jesus is the heart of Scripture. Jesus is the heart of the law. This is why God comes, not to make us follow rules, but to invite us into a relationship with him through Jesus. And the religious people had missed it. Don't miss on Jesus. There's an amazing challenge for us here as a church. We have an amazing opportunity right now. We are in a season of transition. And just like Jesus comes and tells people that being in right relationship with God is not about religious professionals, we have a chance together as a church to demonstrate that over the coming weeks and months and years that our life together is not defined by any one religious professional but by Jesus and by his word, that we are defined by the words of scripture and by the God who comes and loves us in Jesus Christ. Can we be a church that is united around God's word and can pursue Jesus through the words of scripture? I want to challenge you this new year. I know it's cliche to give you a new year's resolution. Some of you don't do those things and some of you have 10. Uh, But I want to give you a challenge. We will preach through the Sermon on the Mount using Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 for the next several weeks all the way to Easter. In that time, I would love for you to read the whole Sermon on the Mount, all three chapters, once a week. If you would commit alongside all of us to reading the Sermon on the Mount one time a week, and then you can even send a text message to uh, to 555-888-SOTM, and you will receive a weekly thought about that week's sermon on your phone, and that can also be a reminder, hey, I need to read the Sermon on the Mount. We need to be people that are gathered around the text and letting the text point us to Jesus, that Jesus is the Word of God, and that we are invited not just to learn words on a page, not just to read a book, but to engage with the God who loves us, because he has made a way for us. Don't miss it.